0: Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. This is your host, Toby. Uh, today, as usual, is edition number 53 of Bubba and the Bat Flip. Bubba and I are going to take a look, a little bit of a deeper dive into the too early mock uh, draft world and uh, try to identify some early trends and what we see Uh, from hitters and pitchers and where they're going, Um, and also kind of highlighting some of the value picks and maybe some of the reaches that we see and the way that our biases are maybe impacting that a little bit. We also take a bunch of listener questions at the end, so thank you all uh, so much for sending those in. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and uh, a review. Yes. Yes. you can reach me at Twitter at batfootcrazy. Bubba is on Twitter at bdntrack. Uh, once again, there will be a, a short ad uh, for um, a, uh, a voting information uh, website. After this, again, it's not really an ad because it's not. We're not getting paid for it, or I'm not getting paid for it. But just wanted to include that information. Uh, the election is coming up um, in early November. We want to make sure that everybody um, uh, can vote uh, who um, is able to, um, and so. Uh, definitely uh, take a listen to that. Uh, all right, uh, let's get this party started.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 53. Going to talk some more two early mocks for everybody as uh, the ALCS and NLCS are running strong right now. Uh, hope everybody's enjoying the playoff action and getting ready for. Yes, we are getting ready for our 2021 season. You find me on Twitter at bdintrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at batflipcrazy. Toby, how we doing, man?
0: Baba, uh, doing, 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 doing all right. You know, just plugging along, taking a little breather. I think. I mean, I'm still involved in the two early mocks, but trying to take a little downtime from fantasy baseball outside of the podcast. And I started watching su- Succession. Great show, uh, phenomenal which, show. Uh, yeah, me and me and my wife are watching that. We're enjoying it so far. So yeah, it gets
1: um, better too. Season two is wild. So oh, does it? En- yeah. Enjoy
0: the character, Greg, the character Greg is our favorite. Greg, is, Greg is special. Greg, Greg is very special. Yeah, yeah
1: Craig, Craig is very special. Um, definitely the uh, the like redheaded stepchild in the bunch, but uh, totally. <laughs> he's a special, special kid. But for uh, sure. Yeah. So outside outside that. Out.
0: I was saying before this, I've started my my DFS journey in football, which I've I've been enjoying. And I lost out on making like $4 when Badgley missed that that field goal. So um, outside of that, you know, I shouldn't even had a kicker. Probably no, but if I'm doing it right,
1: in certain showdowns, you can, it makes sense, yeah. but uh, it's okay now. Instead of staying up until two in the morning to do fab on Saturday nights, you'll be building DFS lineups. So that's all <laughs> there. You but go, total your totally. wife will love you. Um, Shoot, you're you, you've seen, you've seen through me already. I have too many friends like you, I understand. Um, so we were talking about two early mocks, kind of do we're gonna talk about some takeaways from early on. We have obviously they're still going, I believe, ours is in around 16 or 17 right now. Uh, so we have about, you know, five, six, seven more rounds to go, give or take. But, uh, you know, some drafts have gone through 300 picks. Some aren't even close. So by this time next week, it'll all be wrapped up. But we have a good idea kind of of some takeaways. And, you know, there's a lot more to dig in and, and, and to eat up and ingest or however you want to go about it. As uh, we kind of hit on it last week, some early round stuff. But we'll go a little deeper this go around. And we'll start it off with some trends that we're seeing. One that I wrote down, and I'm pretty sure – you can notice it. And I mentioned it with uh, Curlin last week. Starting pitchers went early and often. I don't know if it was you know because we see the trend go every year in the main event they start popping up, or if it was the way the season went. Everyone's just kind of like, "Oh crap, I need starting pitching." I don't know, but it's like I think we had ten guys going around two in our draft alone. And I was looking at it after you get past the first you know big four, like big you know ten or twelve after round two, basically. There's a couple of good globs of pitchers, like around four and five, around six and seven, like chunks of guys. And if you don't have a good core by round ten, it gets ugly. So, what's your takeaway on uh, the starting pitching situation so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, our our draft went heavy starting pitching early, but it looks like there's um, there's eight starting pitchers right now who are in the who are who are who are going between picks. Well, I mean, pick seventeen through thirty. So really is the place where a lot of those guys are going. And I think as we talked a little bit early on, I think one of the things that we'll have to do is kind of dive in and try to differentiate some of these guys, because I think there's, all of them have tremendous upside. I think all of them have some downsides as well. Um, We've seen more downsides from some of them. Like some of them are a little bit more erratic. Like you look at Bauer going at the top end of that, and he probably deserves that if not maybe a little higher based on what he's what he did this year, and and what he did three years ago now, and and also um, what he could do next year. You know, we talked a little bit about that last time, but it's also just it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of shuffles out and what happens to that group of starting pitchers. It is really interesting. I mean, it, it, for some reason, starting pitcher feels deeper. Um, you know, I, I think you have some guys like Carlos Carrasco who who essentially performed like he had performed when he was going as kind of a third round pitcher Um, going later on, you have some injury guys like Strasburg and grant or Granky, not even injury guy, just falling back. So I think it's, it's just a really interesting landscape. And then even later on, there are some guys who um, I think are, are interesting. And so maybe it's just, I've, I've spent so much time this year looking at all the streamers that I was throwing in my lineups that I'm like, Oh my God you know, like Kevin, Kevin Gossman at pick one ninety, Like this is, <laughs> this is incredible. Like I can still draft this guy. Um, and I, and I feel like there's a few handful of other guys kind of going later after pick 200 that are, that are pretty solid, but it's also hard to tell, like, is that just my draft or, you know, is, is it a little bit more consistent with Gaussman? It was just my draft. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to be really interesting just to see how the, how the tiers, you know, like kind of, kind of filter in. Um, clearly those top three, but I think those move around, like I was going to tweet kind of, um, sarcastically, like after Cole's, uh, game five start, like, is he our number one SP SP one yet, you know, again, just because he's so consistent. Um, he's got such a good, good environment there. So, um, just really interesting, uh, I think starting pitching, but I definitely think there's a, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more pressure to get, uh, you know, a few of those starting pitchers early on just based on you know my experience in this last year, but also just the lack of um, consistency that we see and the lack of reliability later on in the drafts. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens, how it all shuffles out in the end. It's
1: funny you mentioned Kevin Gossman because you took him at 192, like you said. You have the low on him because he went at 100, 152, 152, 130, 130, 100. 130 114, 141, and 148. So you got yeah. a heck of a deal. The next closest was 152. So, you got yeah. a 40-pick deal on Gossman. We'll see. Well, who knows if it's a deal, but it seems like a deal with Kevin Gossman. But it's interesting. Like, Charlie Morton is going at ADP 140, like 150. Mm-hmm. Like, that's David Price at 154. Uh, SP Schumer Mike Simeone put out a funny, a, not funny, but an interesting poll today about which Dodgers pitcher would you take first between, I think it was Dustin May, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, and David Price. Mm-hmm. David Price is getting the least amount of votes. Yeah, what did you what What did you say? I picked David Price because I'll take 150 innings mm. of David Price at pick 150 over those guys all day long. But that's me. I felt that going into this season. I'm not worried about his health taking a year off. I really am not. I think I might benefit him if anything. Yeah, because um, they're already going to limit him to like 150 innings anyways. And at this point in this round, like a pick 150 ish, but he could be your SP four. Like that's an outstanding mm. SP four, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's where I was. Where who would you pick?
0: I, I went with Gonsolin. You know, I don't I don't spend a ton of time, you know, on the polls, but I like to weigh in on them. Um, and I he think with Gonsolin,
1: he he's going at one sixty nine, so he's a little he's later. He's going at one
0: sixty nine. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. I mean, I think that for
0: Gonsolin, like I was very impressed. I needed to dive in. I think the Babbitt was pretty low and the strand weight was pretty high, but the Arsenal was super interesting. Um, he was getting volume, you know, towards the end, so he was showing that he could go kind of later on. And he's got he's got the repertoire. I think is the most interesting thing, thing to me. A couple pitches with swinging strike rate above twenty percent, um, which I really liked a lot. So um, that was kind of what I was what I was looking at. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question too. You know, like and all. Yeah, I mean, Dustin May is such a fascinating guy just to think about because you know the gifts are all over the place. The stuff is nasty. And I think the results have been pretty good, but he just doesn't get the strikeouts and the Dodgers really don't seem super intent on giving him a a lot of innings. So, you know, really interesting stuff. Um, It's going to be fascinating the way all of this shakes out. And I mean, so hard to get ourselves out of like the immediacy of this off season and to figure out like, do I feel this way every, every year? Like I should take a journal where I like write down like how I'm (laughs) feeling every day of the fantasy baseball season to be like,
1: you Just have a journal. Back. You have a journal. Look at your previous episodes.
0: Yeah. That's I'm going to go back and listen to what we said about the two early mocks. last time. That actually might be like kind of fascinating to do yeah. that. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, yeah. And one thing on, uh, on Gossman, I, I wrote this back to somebody. I don't know if I fully believe it, but you know, he was kind of like the Lucas Giolito of this last year. You know how we were all looking for Giolitos and there was a few of them. There was like Corbin Burns, obviously. Um, and some other guys, but Gossman was really, really good this year.
1: He was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. He was so
0: good. And I feel like with, because he was on the Giants, maybe, you know, a little bit of West Coast bias and maybe because I don't know how many wins he ended up getting. Um, I know he lost a couple wins down the stretch there, um, but bullpen. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it's interesting. He's, he's – he's, uh, but if he's going where, like, you know, everybody else was drafting and then he's not that interesting.
1: Yeah, a little tough for them, but he went um, – his record this year was 3-3, three and three. 12, uh, 12 games, 10 starts, so not bad. But uh, Gonsolin was my number two in that deal. I was really close to taking him. I guess my my uh, tiebreaker was Price as a guaranteed spot or Gonsolin does not. Mm. That's the, the way the Dodgers operate. If I knew Gonsolin was penciled in, I'd be there. And if you look at the two early mock ADPs, Dustin May is going around pick 129, Julio Urias around 143, David Price around 154, and Gonsolin about one sixty nine, so it's almost every round you're getting another Dodger starter. By the end of round, by the end of pick one seventy, that starting rotation might be gone, which is or no, they will be gone because Bueller and Kershaw are already be there. So that's what I'm saying. There's six six Dodgers taken in the first one seventy starting pitchers. So there's five in a rotation. <laughs> it gets a little interesting with that situation. And, and Dustin May is crazy. Like we've talked about him here in other places, but he's such an electric factory. Like Pitcher List and Pitching Ninja, just give him to death. But he doesn't strike guys out. It's absolutely baffling. It's almost like the the theory I have, and I am not a pitching guru by any means. But it's almost like I f- I think his stuff is so nasty. When the guys think they see like his slider or something, they just don't swing and pray it misses the strike zone. Like that's mm-hmm. just what they're doing because it moves so much. I have no idea. But I remember when I was in Little League, we faced this guy through hundred anybody we've ever seen, and the coach told us when his when his hands like right by his ear start swinging. That was when that was your best pitch. Yeah. And so maybe it's something along those lines. I don't know. They're pros. They're better than me, but. Something to think about. Well, he just,
0: he throws that sinker a ton. I mean, the sinker's only got 4.8% swinging strike rate. True. So until that changes, and that's the pitch that we all see the gifts of, right? Because that's the one he's mm-hmm. throwing 99 nine plus on. But he got super lucky this year in mean, 234, Babbitt, uh, 89% strand rate, I think. And it wasn't like he didn't give up homers. He gave up a decent chunk of home runs, 1.45 per nine. So it must have just been that there wasn't a lot of dudes on base when that happened. But way outperforming, you know, all of his ERA estimators. So just something to consider. Um, you know, K minus walk rate of 12.5%. Um, so I think a lot of the, you know, and again, he can improve. He's a young guy. Um, but I think that's um, you know, something to factor in. Like if you're thinking about picking him at at pick 120. Um maybe I'll add that to my reaches.
1: Yeah, that, that I feel it's a reach because I think he's better fit for the sure. bullpen like we saw tonight in game one at least until he figures out that sinker thing but um a few other guys like i took herman marquez i pick 179 and everybody knows i'm anti-rockies but you know we saw what he did last year or this year even and it's pretty good at that point i'll pay for him compared to the the other prices we've seen but i just have a couple questions for you so chris sale who missed the year obviously he went to pick 118 in our draft he's gone as low as he's actually not drafted in one league right now otherwise he's gone as low as i think he's, that's probably ours no he went in ours at 118 oh he did yeah and he's he's undrafted in another one he's gone as low as 212 and then shohei otani went 226 in ours he's gone as high as 124 and we have the low on him so those are two guys coming off injuries and otani i don't even know if he's gonna be ready to pitch till at least mid-season next year because they're trying to rehab him what would you do i'm just gonna pass on those two but what about you
0: yeah. I mean, the thing for me about Otani is it's just so challenging to take him outside of daily leagues where you can kind of maximize his value. I assume that somebody's going to kind of reach on him for upside. And so I, I have not had him in any leagues of, of importance. Um, and I don't expect that to change next necessarily next year. I think that could change if, if we find out that he's going to be a full-time DH, you know, I think that there's, um, there's, there's certainly value there. Um, and then sale. I mean, generally I stay away from those guys, you know, coming back. Like if there's a price attached to them, I I stay away from those. Um, you know, we've obviously seen some guys like Lamette, right. Who came back and was just lights out from the get go. Certainly sale could be that guy. Um, but it's just, it's really hard to take a guy at that point in the draft with huge injury concerns when you're not quite sure, you know, when he's going to come back, obviously we'll have a better sense of that when we get closer on, but I don't necessarily think the Red Sox, um, you know, competition window starts next year either, you know? And so I don't think they're going to be in a hurry to push him and to give him a ton of innings, uh, you know, because they need to, um, you know, I, I don't know what their plan is yet for how they're, they're going to get, how they're going to go through this kind of youth, youth movement that they need to go through. Cause I don't think they're going to get a bunch of high price free agents given the direction that they're going. So it'll be interesting to see what they do on the trade market, but, Anyways, that's our long winded response to no, I probably won't be dra- drafting uh, Chris Sale uh, early on. That's how my brain works, unfortunately, for you, Bubba, and all the <laughs> listeners is like, I start talking about something, I'm like, mm, that's something interesting over in that direction. And, you know, that's how it all fits together as a puzzle in my mind, I
1: guess. Toby's mind is a Rubik's cube of fantasy baseball. Um, w- when I look at the, the ADP, and I'm not going to go over any more guys on the list, but I, I recommend people check it out because I think it's a good tool to, to use. But we kind of mentioned how guys were going so early. So it's like after pick 170, 180, give or take, it kind of gets a little spread out more where it's not as clumpy as the early stuff. You look at some of these names here and these could be guys that are going to make or break your team, like some really sketchy names and young names Some guys looking for bounce backs. It's a very interesting crew that I don't mind having a couple guys. I don't really want to have most of my rotation be these guys. So I think that's kind of the takeaway I have is I I gambled a little more than I wanted to so far, and I'm going to end up with more of these guys later that I didn't want. But uh, now I know, and we'll see. Because one thing is I was on Triple Play Fantasy last week, and they had a fun game where they used two early mocks ADP from last year Oh. Compared it to NFBC's ADP in June, mm. who, who rose and who fell. So that was interesting to see the differences there, because like recency bias, uh-huh. heck of a drug. And two really, I, awesome I gotta go back and listen to that.
0: I haven't really been consuming a lot of baseball podcasts recently, but those guys are awesome too. Triple Play, shout out to you guys. Um, always such a fun time, like the games and everything like that. That is that's really interesting. I mean, those are super. Helpful exercises, I think. And, you know, we were talking about the journal earlier, but I mean, these are the types of things that we have to be thinking about. Our minds, like, I mean, think about like early, too early mock ADP, like Randy Orozorana, right? He's going at an ADP of 116 prior to us finding out that he can't hit anything that isn't a fastball. And so now all the actual you know. real
1: life Pedro Serrano.
0: Um, no, but I mean, like, it's just things like that, right? Where like that is not going to be the case. Well, I mean, he could go that high, don't get me wrong. I mean, there there could be the chance that he does that, but it's just like, you know, people people have that in their minds. And so there's a ton of recency bias going into this. And so it's a really interesting um, just exercise, I think, to go through. I'm really interested to see, to get a hold of projections. Normally we get those, I think, after Thanksgiving is when Steamer releases um, theirs. And so I'm really interested to see what that you know what that tells us um but yeah and then yeah i mean there's just this year is so going to be so different i think than a lot of other years it's going to be fascinating
1: yeah it's interesting you mentioned Rosarena because i'm looking at guys going right above him in adp but like in certain leagues guys that went after him in adp technically and then guys that overall adp is going after him and i'm like yeah i'll take him 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 and i like randy rosarena i've had a big a lot of fun with him in dfs so far But you got to show me a little more to take him. Like he went as high as ninety six. That's a top one hundred pick. That's asking quite a bit in my book. I could be totally wrong. But um, speaking of hitters, that's a a good segue here. What kind of hitter trends are you seeing here? Because we talked about like the top, you know, six guys where you can't really argue. You got Trouts, Betts, all those guys. Like when you move on past that, we talked about the Yellicks and Bellinger's, going like round three, four, later stuff like that what kind of hitter trends are you seeing uh, that, that make drop off or dry up quicker than we thought?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, one of the things I think that that's interesting, I mean, you know me, I love catchers. Um, so one of the thing that's super interesting to me is just how the catching market is developing. Uh, you have JT Real Muto who's going, you know, pretty high up there, like much later than he should be, as we all know, um, at around pick 88, 48, I think from an yeah, ADP perspective, 48. and then you have to wait, I think to pick one third, I think it is. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's like pick one thirteen has been Will Smith is the second 100. drafted 100. catcher on 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 average, and then there's just like kind of a clump of guys from okay. one thirty to one seventy. But um, yeah, I just think that that's interesting. I know in the you know last year we had Sanchez who was up there, I think in the eighties. You also had Grandall who was kind of who fell back a little bit, um, but that's just, it's a little bit interesting. I think people's approach to catchers is going to be fascinating this year because there's kind of, you know, there's the two camps, there's the camp that I fall in, which is kind of like, I really want to prioritize that position because I think it can be a major, major sinkhole. not saying you can't win with, with that, with a different strategy, but you know, that's the strategy that I prefer. I drafted in my two early mock Real Muto and, and Sal Perez. And so, you know, which comes with its own, I think challenges for sure, which I'm figuring out. Um, as we draft him, which will segue nicely into my second trend. Um, But um, yeah, so I just think that that's, that's going to be really interesting. And obviously Will Smith has had a really nice start to the playoffs. So that's weighing in on him, kind of pushing him up. But some of those guys, I mean, if some of those guys stick around like Grandal again, you know, the batting average was low, but he had a really nice season again, and really started to heat up once he got um, comfortable or once, you know, kind of positive regression started going his way. And then you have, um Sal Perez, who had an incredible season, and you can't necessarily um, expect he was at 120 ADP. It looks like can't really expect him to repeat that batting average. But we've seen him be consistent when healthy. 25 home runs pre juice juiced ball, you know, um, because he was injured for 2019. And in the middle of that lineup with the plate appearance advantage, again, you know, he's he's definitely going to be a target of mine, especially if I don't get JTR. So. Yeah. Again, I mean, I think it's that the catching is going to be fascinating to see how people kind of take that because I think one of the things that I felt this year was that there was a lot more rotations of catchers. You know, there was a lot fewer guys who were getting consistently. I haven't actually done that research, so that this is just again an anecdote or or it uh, could be a bias on my part. But it just felt like there wasn't um, there wasn't a lot of consistent uh, you know guys getting a, a ton of run. Um, from a play appearance perspective. So we should I should do some research on that maybe. Or let or somebody else who's smarter than me, please do that. Um, right. so that you're was your you're accurate on that, by the way.
1: You're very accurate on that. I am. Okay. Yeah. That makes me feel good. Yeah. No, that was a topic I wrote about in the black book when I did catchers last year. Thank goodness I'm not doing catchers this year. But I had to write about like 40 to 50 catchers last year. And a lot of it was like your top 10 or 12 guys were great because they weren't in a platoon. And then it got real hairy after that. So, and that kind of played out this year. Like you said, uh, a lot of these guys after you, like you got real Mito, Smith, Perez, Grandal either dh or, or caught, Cadreas DH'd or caught, Deano DH'd or caught. The DH was tremendous for certain players. But then it got real murky after that. Like even Austin Nolan, until he started hitting consistently, Sean Murphy was in rotation a lot. Um, you had the, the the Orioles guys were both good, Severino and and uh, Cisco, but they they rotated a lot. It was a very, very uh, murky situation. Even Danny Jansen was uh, with Kirk, I believe it was, with Toronto. So, yeah, you had a lot of that going on outside of, say, the top 10 to 12, maybe 15 at the most. But even after the 10 or 12, they're not really phenomenal catchers. You'd almost take a platoon guy after that. So that that is the tricky part about catchers, and that's where it's kind of like do you take the earlier pick and go for it? Not JTR, obviously. He's worth the earlier pick, but after that – and get two guys, or do you just uh, wait? And that's what we're kind of seeing. If you look at the ADPs, you mentioned the kind of globs that are there. But then, you know, we're well over 200 picks through our draft, and there's still only like 15, 16 catchers off the board. It's a two-catcher league. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's like guys, they got their early guys, and out. I didn't look and see who double-dipped besides you in the league. but it, And it's pretty consistent over all nine leagues looking at the ADP right now that – I think the only league that's really deep into the 300s is League Four, and they went on a massive catcher run in the 300s. So that's something else to keep an eye on. Maybe you get your backup catcher, your, your catcher too, then, because it's really like, why waste the, the pick if you're going for a, a Danny Jansen or a Max Stasi or, or one of those guys when you can go get maybe your SP5 or something? So mm-hmm. something, something to yeah. consider.
0: Definitely. It's, it's kind of interesting. I, I can't remember the pod that I was listening to, but um, they were talking about William uh, Wilson Contreras. And it's just fascinating to me because I think a lot of people saw him as a disappointment last year. Um, but you can see what the, the plate appearance advantage does. I mean, he had m- about 30 more plate appearances than anybody else. 37 runs from your catcher, you know, like it's just, it can have a, it can have a huge, um, it can have a huge
1: impact so yeah no doubt not about yeah. it it's a big big uh, impact and so you're you're trained with catchers jtr and chill so you're all about those early yeah. guys like if you don't get obviously uh, okay not obviously you're gonna get jtr in most of your leagues i have a feeling because you're gonna be the guy that says you know what i'm going to get him whether you like it or not so here it is um after him though do you like have like a, one or two guys you have to have or it's just not worth it for you
0: um, well, I think it depends on how it shuffles out, you know, like, I mean, like Yadi Molina is always a, a go-to for me. Like if I make it past, um, you know, if I don't have a catcher, if I, you know, he's like kind of a catcher too, that I love to get, um, guys like that. I have to do like a little bit and more analysis, but, you know, depending on where he ends up, you know, he'll be a guy that I don't mind as my kind of catcher too, but, you know, but there's just so many question marks, but there's also interesting guys, right? Like Dalton Barshow, you know, um, is super interesting. Max Stasi was really good last year um, when he was playing. He was injured, but, you know, um, uh, he looked really good. But again, I got to like kind of delve into some of these guys because, you know, the thing is, we got to realize how short of a season. I mean, everybody loves Travis Darno, and don't get me wrong. Like he had a great season. You know, he also had a 411 Babbitt, you know, like that's just not, it doesn't happen, you know. Who do you
1: think he is, Tim Anderson?
0: Right, yeah. (laughs) Jeez. Back off, Diarno. But, you know, it's just things like that that I think, you know, I I think it's kind of a foolish exercise, but just go to Babbitt and sort and then like cut off like the top 10 Babbitt leaders and just say, I'm not drafting these guys because their price is super inflated. Michael Conforto. And then, you know, like lower lower down, you know, um, you know, look at the guys who have super low babbitts, right? Like your Max Muncies of the world, who I was really disappointed to see that he didn't fall that much. I was hoping maybe he might fall in like the 150 range or something like that. But he didn't fall because I think he's having a good playoff, so people kind of forgot. But like Carlos Sant- Santana, I drafted him, I think at pick, I can't remember, it was probably 190 or something like that, 192. But I, I was interested to see what, what is his, his ADP is. I'm look at that. He's at an ADP of 200, you know? And so, like, he was pretty much the same guy he's been every year other than last year, but he had like a 210 Babbitt, you know? And, like, yeah, he's not going to have a high Babbitt. He's going to have like a 250 to 270 Babbitt. That's going to push his batting average to 240, 250. And, he, you know, he's going to be super good. Although I am worried that Lindor is going to leave this summer and, you know, So that lineup gets a little bit of a hit, but, um, anyways, it's, you know, it's just, uh, you know, we're, yeah, it's a good, it's a, we'll, we'll, we'll address like the, how do you, how do you take in 2020 type impact? But like, you can already see it in these drafts, like how high or low guys are moving based on not any type of change in skill, but change in some of the luck, the things related to luck that we look at.
1: So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely production uh, paid off a lot. Like, here's a guy, Andrew McCutcheon, going at ADP 208. That's really a, a great pick by you, late. by the way. I think he's going way too late. That guy's just ridiculous to me. He missed part of the season, sure, but leading off for of the Phillies even next year, I think that's still a phenomenal play. He still ran this year. I think he had six steals, seven homers, hit for a decent average. He's going to score runs at top of the order. I, I don't understand. I think it's a recency bias thing, kind of what we've been hinting on here. That I didn't uh, didn't get. If you miss some guys early, I thought that was a fun one. But th- there's going to be a lot of guys like that. Like Carlos Santana's, like you mentioned, totally. uh, where a guy like Christian Walker, who went super late last year, he's jumping up right next to Carlos Santana, which I like. I like Christian Walker, so I'm not like opposed to that play. But you're seeing the movement of mm-hmm. what season can do for guys. Uh, you mentioned uh, some things. Stolen bases is interesting because I know I talked about it last week. I took Trey Turner number two, and some liked it. Something I'm an idiot, which not the first time people thought i'm an idiot so that works out just fine but i i wanted to get like a, a turner or a bets or an akuna obviously i'm going for one of the steals guys early if i have a top pick yeah in the draft. um J ram stories. I'm, I'm gonna get steals early now and then i guess kind of fill in i've talked about it even last year and the philosophy for me has not changed get guys that give you five to ten steals if you can like every once again you know if you get a big guy you can afford to go take a nelson cruise that's fine But uh, make sure you get it balanced out by the end. Don't rely on one or two guys to do it all for you, which we've talked about many times. So my philosophy starts out with a a good surplus of stolen bases and builds on it from there. But I'm curious about with you, since you go starting pitching early, I know you talked about it last year, but how do you see it playing out in these two early mocks? How do you address stolen bases in uh, taking your pitching early like you do in this situation?
0: Well, based on my two early mock, I do not address it at all. I just <laughs> forget stolen bases; they're not important. Don't chase speed at all. You don't need it at all. Just, one. just lose. Um, no, I mean, I think it's it's a really um, it's a good question. I mean, it, you know, I, there's just so many competing narratives like happening in my head right now about it all. Right? It's like I've got this narrative about like ah, the pitching. You know, the pitching goes so quick. Like not just the pitching, but it's the same thing we talk about every time, right? The volume. The volume, the the foundation, the floor, in the main event, it's like, you know, you need one of those guys who really hits. And all you need is one, really, right? It's like, you know, I had Bieber in one, right? And then my other guy was Scherzer. I had them in two, actually, right? Um, and I found a way to not do great, finish fifth with, with Bieber on one of my teams. But, but I had Bieber and Scherzer, so I had one good and one who really honestly wasn't that good, like outside of the strikeouts, maybe. Um, And then I had um, DeGrom and Strasburg, you know, and Strasburg threw four innings, none on my team. Um, And he ended up, you know, and it was fine because DeGrom was good enough. And then you had, then I had Garrett Cole and um, uh, Lance Lynn actually um, was my second there. So that worked out all right with me because Cole hit, but um, that's all just to say, like you need one of those aces to come through for you and you're more likely to get it. So, you know, that volume, that foundation that you get. So like, I have that in my head. And then I realized like just the approach that I took with the two early mock, you know, I took, um, actually took Yelich in the first round, uh, just cause I thought that that was an interesting way to try to build the team. And then I went starting pitcher, starting pitcher. Um, and then I went like, I think a hitter and then another starting pitcher something like that. So I got three starting pitchers that I felt really good about, but I didn't necessarily address speed the way that I needed to. Um, and that became pretty clear and there's just not a lot of good speed options late. I'm sure that when we get there, you know, we'll feel a little bit better about it, but, um, just a lot of platoon guys, you know, um, which does not feel good. And so obviously, you know, we learn this every year, but you need to take that speed early. Um, and I think one of the things is like you, you picked up McCutcheon, which I thought was a great pick. I was thinking about him because I needed some speed. Um, but the batting average, you know, he's pretty much a 255 hitter. And I, I wasn't sure if I had addressed batting average strong enough at that point in time. Um, but, um, yeah, because I had drafted like a Carlos Santana and things like that. So it's just, you know, it's the age old story of, you know, you need to, you need to address batting average early and you need to address speed early on. Otherwise you're going to find yourself in some, some challenging predicaments and it's not like you can't do it. Hi, Justin. Um, uh, it's not like you can't do it, but you just, you know, it it makes building your team a lot more difficult. And so again, we have all this pressure on pitching, uh, that we need, feel like we need to address. And, but then we also can have, continue to have the same pressures around batting average and stolen bases, which are maybe even depending on the way you look at it, either easier or harder because, you know, like, um, because you don't need as high a batting average to compete true, but you still need to be better than you know, more you know, yeah, exactly. Like you want to be better, like 10th in your league at that. Right. And the same with stolen bases. And so, you know, unless you dominate some other category. So again, like not anything new that we have to think about. I just think, I just think that there's, um, maybe even just a more, it feels like there's more pressure on that. And again, that could just be me, but trying to navigate what that scenario is. I think it makes guys, and, and I stayed away from him this time, but like, Victor Robles at like ADP of
1: 163. I was so tempted to go after that. I was so tempted. So
0: good. Yeah. I'm just like, (laughs) Victor, come to daddy. I miss you, you know, looking at my team construction. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's, um, yeah, that's something. Whatever he said.
1: He's going to be, he's going to be a fun one to watch as high as 123, as low as 237. Like that is a spectrum. Robles went
0: at 237.
1: Yeah, in league two, in league two, that's gonna be like, man, if you get to like one seventy or later, I'm and he went that way in a lot of drafts. I'm gonna have to really fight myself to to take that one, but um, yeah, like you're gonna be looking at guys for stolen bases later. I was kind of s- scrolling through here while you were talking, and you got guys like uh, Manny Margot, Victor Reyes, yeah. uh, who I don't hate. Um, you take your chance on Garrett Hampson and pray he plays. Stuff along those lines; uh, those will get you some steals late, but uh, see how that plays out. I was pretty mad; someone took Mauricio Dubon from me. That that yeah. uh, we're gonna have problems with that because he actually got it going in the second half. I'm telling you, it's gonna happen.
0: Well, one, well, I do think the, you know I, I've said that like chasing stolen bases feels awful; like it's it's a terrible experience. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of guys that are like that. Like you yeah. just mentioned, you know, Shogo Akiyama is another one, right? Yeah who's stealing bases, Mm -hmm. who doesn't necessarily, you know, like he's not going to help you in home runs at all. But, you know, there's just like this idea in my head of like getting him and like a Roman Quinn or a Manny Margot. And then, you know, like um, combining them with all these late power bats that you can get. Right. Like we have a question later around CJ Krohn, CJ Cron, whatever, however you say it. And like, but like a guy like that, where you can kind of, you know play the matchups you can play you can play different different ways so i think that that's i think that that's um something to consider to again not as like your foundational strategy for stolen bases but as as um something that seems like an option every year that i haven't really been as intentional about doing
1: um but yeah it'll be interesting to see where it all pans out and uh once we start getting draft champions data in December, and then they start doing some other drafts in January, pretty sure there'll be some more mock drafts coming as the as the months get closer. It's gonna be fun as we get kind of a little ways from 2020, and guys do some research and articles come out and all different things. Like you said, projections in December. Where do guys actually like start to uh, change their mind? Because like I said, that triple play view. I need to get with uh, little cheesecake over there and um, get his his day Is that David? No, that's Art. art All right. Art. I need to get his uh, spreadsheets. He's the one that made the game. So he's got to have a list somewhere of comparing the two. And there were some that stood out. Like, some were pretty obvious. Like, you knew this guy jumped or this guy fell. But then there are some other ones like, holy crap, people actually took this guy that early in the two dollars of Like, yeah. that was recency bias at its finest. So I we'll want to see how this plays out. Because, like, we could circle it right now. When we're talking in, say, February, I want to see Randy Razorino's ADP. Yeah, like give me that one right now because that one's it's gonna be lower. It's got to be lower. Like, yeah. yeah, plain and simple. It, yeah, yeah, but. it's super interesting. I mean, is he the Luis Robert right or Robert? Well, um, basically, I think he's a poor man's Lubob. Yeah, like if you if you think he can steal bags, he's a poor man's Lubob. I think he might have a better average. lubob has got more power. Like it's it's a weird trade off, and there's a lot of guys you can make comparisons like that for. So it'll be. A uh, Razor is a pretty good uh, plate discipline too, right? Yeah, he's, he yeah. walks decent clip. Much better than that, uh, yes. Much better. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a other th-
0: end up picking him.
1: There you go. <laughs> there's a few other trends and strategies we'll talk about that kind of cross over with some listener questions. So we're going to hold that till the end. And we're going to go on some value picks that different people saw throughout all this. Um, Toby, why don't you start off with one that you kind of hinted at some of these already, but what's your first value pick you saw in the two early mocks?
0: Well, one I thought was really interesting was... Um, was uh was Grankey? Grankey's Granky's really fascinating to me i mean last year he was going around pick 45 if not earlier when the main event drafts were happening and he went 83 and he's literally the exact same guy with a higher babbit. Uh, i think over his last five starts he ran a babbit of 403 i want to say um and i so i thought that was super interesting because i think he's like the same guy pretty much that he, that he has been. And obviously there was a little bit of an injury thing, I think in the playoffs this year. Um, So I think he's going to fall and I think he's a really solid, I mean, you know, it depends on who your SP one is, but a very solid SP two. And then if you can get him as your SP three, potentially, like in some of these drafts, I think that that's really interesting because, you know, um, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get him up right here, but you know, his swing, his K minus walk rate was better this year. Um, it has been in, in previous years, his swinging strike rate was also, up. so yeah, his K minus walk rate was 21.2%. Um, had his highest K percentage in the last three years, had, had, you know, about the same swinging strike rate. Um, you know, some of the, some of the, um, control metrics were not as good, um, as they have in the past, but he still was able to avoid walks, but yeah, 321 Babbitt, which is, you know, 30 points about higher than he's had in the last seven years. Um, and again, from a four Oh three Babbitt in his last five starts. And so essentially what you have is, is this is going to happen to every pitcher throughout the course of the season, pretty much where they have a bad month, but he happened to have that bad month, not even from like an overall perspective. I mean, what did he finish up with? He finished with a four Oh three ERA, a K per nine and a one, one, three whip. Right. But his, you know, his peripherals. Right, he had a 280 FIP, a 351 xFIP. Um, where's where's that d- darn Sierra? A 372 Sierra, you know. So so he's essentially the same guy, but he's dropped 40 spots in ADP for me. And so I thought that that was really interesting because I've gained like a little bit more of an appreciation for who he is a p- as a pitcher, um, just because he's been so consistent and he doesn't he doesn't walk guys and he you know in a lot of ways. He, he's he's similar to Kyle Hendricks because consistently he's been able to suppress babbitts. um and and that's that's key. If you don't walk guys and you are able to con to manage contact in the way that he's done, I think that that's a really good combination, especially in a pitcher's park, um in in a in a league that's now full of pitchers' parks. I mean the way that uh, Globe Life Field is playing, and then you have Houston the way it's playing, then you have the A's the way it's playing. I mean that whole division is full of kind of pitcher's park, similar how to how, um, well, not not the NL West entirely, but, you know, used to be. So it's, um yeah, it's it's just really interesting. I think overall, um, I
1: think the fact that he's dropped so far is is questionable to me.
0: But that's just me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't mind that at all. One of my guys would be Mike Moustakis. I really don't understand the hate for Mike Moustakis. Uh, he's going around pick uh, 142 right now. Jake Cronenworth's going ahead of him at second base, which I like Jake Cronenworth. Don't get me wrong. I think I took him at 119, actually. But uh, I, I don't mind that. But that one surprised me a bit. Uh, Johnny VR, you know, Jeff McNeil, Max Muncy. And I know I'm always like the anti-Max Muncy guy. But when I see Max Muncy and I see Mike Moustakas, I don't see a lot of differences between the two. Except when I look at ADP, there's like a 40 big difference. So mm. that's one of those that kind of gets me a, a little sketchy. And obviously, there's going to be more diving into these guys throughout the offseason. But just looking at Mustakis's numbers overall, the biggest thing I take away, like, you know, the barrels are pretty similar, a little like 0.8% barrel difference. Hard hit rate's the same. He struck out six or 5.5% more, walked about 2% more. When you look at his, like, overall swinging rates and chase rates and zone rates and all that stuff, he swung less. His whiff percentage was less, he had a strikeout rate rate went up. So to take a deeper dive, I'm guessing he was just – I don't say, I don't know if patience is the right word, but it's, you know, aggressiveness wasn't there. And that seems to be a trend from some of these guys that, have, you know, we talked about Baez and we talked about, um, I can't remember who else. We There's a couple other guys we talked about that weren't being near, oh, I think it was uh, Gleyber Torres, some guys like that, that you look at their overall aggressiveness at the plate, it all dropped off this year and they saw a decline in everything else. So you look, because you look at his, his exit velocities and all that stuff, it's, it's all legit. It's all the same. His pull rates are the same. His fly ball rates. Are very similar. His 5 rate's are actually higher this year. His line drive rates were higher this year, so you'd expect you know more success this year. But he struck out a lot more, and that was a big, big difference. He only hit 230. His XBA was 242. If Moose is hitting 242, his eight homers probably turns into like 11 or 12, and all of a sudden you're happy as can be. It's that simple. He also was on the IL once in a while. Maybe had COVID. Maybe didn't. We don't really know the answer there but Mustax is a guy if i can get him up around pick 142 yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take that and yes mason he is triple eligible i give you that with muncie but i'll take I, I just can't do it with him anymore i give up on max muncie for now until someone tells me otherwise
0: man you, you know what his babbitt was max muncie's babbitt this year I,
1: it's okay he's a dodger so i really just he was as bad that's all it was right that's the answer
0: uh it was 203
1: yeah months yeah that's not that's that's really bad. Um, yeah, because Moose was, was 247, like 247 Babbitt, but still he had a 237 ISO and a 340 Woba. Like, that's still like, if you look at all those other numbers, they line up almost evenly with every other season he's had. It's just an average was, you know, before it was 254, 251, 272, even 240, 284. Give me a 250 average with that 230, and we were just happy as can be with Moustakis. So mm. I'll, I'll take that gamble going into the next season.
0: Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah, for me, I mean, Baez is just such an obvious one, uh, going at an ADP of 81, um, just such a huge fall off. And obviously, like we talked extensively about him in previous podcasts, so I won't go into too much depth. But, um, you know, yeah, it does seem like it's been a little bit of a longer period of struggle for him. But I still think he produces even when he is struggling, because of where he hits in the lineup, um, because he can contribute in five categories, theoretically. So, um, you know, he's a guy who I think, you know, it's a huge drop off for him. And and I see him, especially being Barry, um, I think he's going to be really focused on on improving. And I I think he will be able to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on him. Like you said, we talked about him quite a bit, even on recent episodes. It's for me, unless something else is said, it was his just aggressiveness at the plate. And that's a guy that lives on being aggressive. And he just, everything points to he was taking more pitches and it, it added up in a hurry with him so interesting to see how that, that that approach changes at the plate uh for me i'm going to go with another third baseman and that's josh donaldson going to pick 158 i'm kind of curious on a slew of guys going ahead of him at a position that's um i know it's not deep it's not sexy either donaldson still had a pretty uh, strong season overall and he did he was injured and that's probably the bugaboo with everybody he's, he's getting hurt you don't play every day. There's a DH in Minnesota, if, if need be. Um, you know, to hit 222 with a 231 bat. Up guy, it's perennially a 290 plus bat up guy. I'll go back to Josh Donaldson and pick 152. If you need a third baseman, you missed one. I got no problem going to him.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great shout too. Um, yeah, another guy for me was Altuve. Um, I know everybody hates Altuve, but
1: let's hate the Astros.
0: I mean, at 113, it just seems like such a good value, especially, you know, I mean, he started to hit during the playoffs. Right. So he really struggled early on. But he's clearly I think he's got I think he has three home runs, um, you know, like I mean, he's not that bad of a player. He's not at that old. Um, the skill shouldn't be deteriorating that much. And so I think he's going to be a guy that's worth worth another shot as well, um, going where he's going um so that was one that that jumped out at me
1: okay the last one i have here this is more of a we need a to get a virtual fantasy baseball hug because it was a rough year he had a buck 88 on the season but hey 225 x batting average that's a positive right you know the actual bacon the hard hit was still 47.2 percent strikeout rate went through the roof the walk rate increased i think he bounces back next year and he's going around pick 200 and that's kyle schorber yeah, i throw it out there. That's a guy I, – I know he had a rough season, short season. I'm going to kind of lean on – we're going to talk about our – kind of talking about two, 2020 stats compared to 2019 and everything. But that's a guy – I've already said a lot of stuff, grain of salt for 2020. Like I'll take certain bits and pieces, especially stat cast stuff. And when I look at a stat cast page, there's a few things that stand out to be a little scary, but then there's some things that overall still – very strong that point to to good things with Kyle Schwarber and a buck 88 average is not something that he's going to do. He's never been a bag and average genius. But he's not a buck 88 either. And he still hit 11 home runs and stole a bag through all that. So, yeah. he's the guy around pick 200. I think you could uh, get some nice rewards for. Him.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he had some things go wrong like the ground ball rate spiking, but I'm totally there with you like that. I think it will be tremendous value for next year. I think a good kind of thing to do is just look at how a guy's contact rate overall changed and that should kind of line up with how their strikeout rate changed. And Schwarbers is, you know, a 0.2 difference. And yet he had a 4% increase in his strikeout rate, you know, um, from year to year. And so that's clearly, you know, I think an area where the longer he played that strikeout rate would come down. It would result in more um, hits, more balls in play um and 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 i think just yeah like going right there i think he's a no-brainer for sure and i think justin actually he picked him in our draft i thought that was a,
1: a a really great pick well if that's the case maybe i need to look some more into this um reaches who's one of your reaches um i
0: mean there's a bunch of them i could go to my favorite my favorite reach which is vlad jr um who just he just always ends up at up there. Um, and we have yet to see batting average show up, uh, because his BABIP is not as high as it was in the minors because he hit so many ground balls. And I mean, obviously the power is, is good, but you can't, you have a guy who's not going to steal bases. Although I think he stole one base this year. I think I remember that when he did steal that base, but he's not going to steal bases. He's hasn't shown that he can hit for average yet. And he's still going at pick 70. Um, I just i can't I can't get behind it. I think he's gonna I just think he's I don't think he's that good
1: yeah and now uh, he's no. gonna
0: be now he's just first base right
1: yeah yeah he's he should only be first, first base.
0: he's gonna be first base dh eligible like no thanks
1: yeah I don't blame you at all on that one um there's a few like you said that you can kind of pick and choose from that stand out. When looking at this, I'm trying to figure out how I can do this with being nice. I'm trying to pick the right, uh, the right people on. Don't honestly. be nice. I, I save that for. This regarding. is like the
0: this is like the real world.
1: The real. World. All right,
0: when people stop being nice, start start getting real.
1: so, okay, well, here's mine. We should call
0: our podcast.
1: Here's mine for you, Mike Clevenger is going to pick sixty-one. Mm. I don't know if people saw the last couple weeks. I am terrified of touching Mike Clevenger. And this is coming from a guy that had Mike Clevenger as my, in my top five last year, if not like top three, before the season started. I really loved what Mike Clevenger did. I know I was not alone on that one. But watching everything that took place throughout the last couple weeks, and I don't know why they had him pitch that last game the way they did. And it made no sense to me at all. But I would need a large drop-off. Pick 61. That's the end of round four, beginning of round five probably your sp2 maybe sp3 if you're toby i still couldn't do him there like he needs to be going much later i would rather take a chance if i were to take an injured arm on a chris sale on a noah cinder on a james paxton where they're going draft wise over mike clevenger so that one's went way too high for me
0: yeah yeah i agree i'm staying very far away from him um yeah um Next next one for me is um, is Michael Conforto. And I think this is where, like, you got to be careful of the narratives because all I heard this year is he's figured it out. Like, he's this is like, this is the new Michael Conforto. You know, he's finally reached that level. You want to know what helped him reach that level? A 412th is what helped him reach the level, okay? Walk rate this year, down 3% from last year. Strikeout rate, up 1.5%. O swing, exactly the same as the last two years. Contact rate up 0.7%. Right? Uh, hard hit rate, exactly the same. Ground ball rate up 5%. So you could actually argue he he is he did pull the ball less than he has traditionally, which I think will help him get a higher Babbitt than he usually did, but not a 412 Babbitt. Like he had a similar batted ball profile. Um, three years ago, and had a 328 babbitt, so that seems a little bit more, you know, like what he should have done. And he hit 279 that year, right? And so, um, you know, his exit velocity was down, his max exit velo was up a little bit, barrel rate was the same. So essentially, you're talking about the exact same guy from every metric imaginable as last year, except he had a 412 babbitt, and yet he's going 60 picks higher than he went last year. Right. And so I think these are the types of situations that we need to be careful of where we put way too much. You know, it's so I think it. I think putting looking at 2020, I think what you need to do is look at the skills. Like, was there fundamentally a skill change? And if there wasn't, I think you need to treat them as you did, you know, with previous years. If there was a fundamental skill change, then I think you need to dig, dig in a little deeper and try to figure out what exactly it was and which skill like reflects, you know, the the right thing, right? Like if it's a contact rate or something like that, put a little bit more emphasis on it because that, you know, becomes, uh, you know, um, I don't want to get into like statistical terms, but it's like, because it's based on pitches, you feel a little bit better about it in a smaller sample size from a plate pers- appearance perspective because you're talking about pitches. It's per pitch instead of like per batted ball or something. So again, like I think these are the types of things where, and we saw how dramatically batting averages could change, even at this point, the point of the year that we were in, where there were some guys who were like hitting like 350. And then two weeks later, they're hitting 270, you know, because they got four hits during that period of time. So those are that. I think he's just like emblematic of the guys that are going to move up a bunch that don't deserve to move up a bunch.
1: Yeah. No, I don't mind that at all. Uh, my second guy would be Dustin May, kind of hit on him earlier. Love the talent. There's no strikeouts, and I'm a guy that drafts strikeouts. I have to have strikeouts. If anything, I'd rather gamble on Pablo Lopez, going a few picks after him, uh, go earlier and get a Frankie Montaz or Lance McCullers, which is, feels really dirty to say, but I know they're going to be there in the starting rotation also, or Dustin May might not. So lots of question marks with Dustin May. It'll depend a lot on what we see in spring with him, but he's a guy I got going way too early. Uh, what's the third one for you?
0: Alec Bohm or Baum, I mean, he was a great DFS play at like 2,700 for a while and, or up to 3,000, but I mean, check this out, right? Alec Bohm hit three thirty eight in 180 plate appearances. His Babbitt was four ten. His ground ball rate was 53.2%, right? So like 10% higher than league average. His hard hit rate was 27.8%. His O swing was league average. His contact rate was league average. So by all accounts, he's not that good. And I mean, don't get me wrong. He could improve and things could change, right? And I I, and I don't have his prospect pedigree. But going at pick one, like an ADP of 120 on average, that is way too steep. Because um, I think over a full year, you're talking about a guy who hits maybe 270 you know even like on his pace from this year uh you know in 180 plate appearances he had four home runs you're looking at like 15 home runs and again like things could change dramatically but um mm -mm, no thank you
1: Mm -mm, no thank you i like that quite a bit um Mm -mm. my last my last guy and it's kind of a i don't know it's it's a tough one for me, but mine's gonna be a pick seventy four is A Eugenio Suarez. Mm. I like Aojenio quite a bit, but I think we saw like two years ago we saw an amazing, just absolute stud A Eugenio Suarez. I think this last year, given there were injuries involved in the situation, you know, the shoulder and all that coming back. he still at fifteen homers, but he hit two oh two with a two fourteen Babip sure, usually a three hundred plus Babip guy. Maybe there's more to like there. He had power, didn't have much else. So he supplied you decent fantasy numbers. But as a whole, I think we saw more this year because uh, he, he walked more this year, which I even helped a lot. I think we saw the fantasy production, the batting average, and all that good stuff that we saw this year is more realistic than we saw in the last couple of years. So Ayo who I like a lot, I liked him you know, last year when we talked about him at pick 120 or 130. That's great. That's four rounds later. Now we can talk. But right now he, he's going ahead of Yohan Monkada. I'm sorry. I will take Yohan Monkada 10 out of 10 times at third base before I take Eugenio Suarez. That's just crazy to me. He needs to be going around the Matt Chapman area around pick 96. There's a lot more similarities at third base with Suarez and Matt Chapman. So he's just going too early. I like the guy, but not at that price point. All righty. All right. Let's go to some listener questions because this will help take care of a lot of the other stuff we are going to discuss. So as I pull them up here, we'll start with Jonathan Raymer. At John Raymer 87 asks, Trent Gresham was one of the few guys to go 10-10 in homers and steals this year. He also seems to have a solid approach to the plate. Could he be a perennial 25-25 guy with counting stats from a loaded Padres lineup?
0: Um oh man, that's a really good question. Um I mean, I would I would I wouldn't project him at 25-25. Um obviously he had a very good season. I think he's very good think one of the elite things about him is the O swing, right? Like 20.4% O swing. So the dude is going to get on base. He's got that great kind of contact and, um, and plate discipline profile hitting at the top of that lineup. Um, I think that all, that is all great. I do think, I mean, I should check this out, but I do think that there are some, oh, I mean, Quality of contact issues, but it's fine. I mean, maybe, but the thing that the thing that I would just think about is like how many guys are there every year that go 25-25? It's a very small group of players. Let's see. In 2019, we had. We had two guys in all of baseball who went 20 who had at least 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases but I do think, I do think 2020 um, is a reasonable expectation. So that I I would maybe focus a little bit more maybe on that Um, just because stolen bases come in bunches and it's really hard. um, You know, you got to stay healthy and all that stuff. But I mean, I believe in Trent Grisham Um, and I think that he's got one of those profiles that's um, I often say it, Ariel Cohen says many, many, many paths to, many paths to value, I think is what he says, or, or a lot of paths to value, but those five category contributors where he's not hurting you anywhere. And so in any given year, if he underperforms in one particular area, he's still helping you out. So like, he's got a great OBP. So and he hits at the top of the lineup. So those runs should be there. Right. So even if the batting average isn't there, he still gets on base and he gets you those runs, you know, um, without the, the, you know, I'd be a little bit more concerned if there was the pitcher in the NL, right? Batting ninth and the RBIs and things. But I mean, the power, like anybody can hit 20 home runs now. So you can definitely do that. And then we've seen the speed. So again, great player, I believe. Um, you know, I think 25 25 is going to be a really lofty projection for anybody to hit just because so few guys do it. But if you were to go a little bit more conservative with like a 20 20, I think that's definitely possible.
1: Yeah, I'm more of a 2020 profile. Think Tommy Pham, stuff along those lines um and i think he can do it consistently for a while because his average isn't great but he walks a lot OBP is very strong with uh grisham he developed his power in 19 uh, obviously bouncy ball and AAA and the bigs but we saw a little more power developed there and the stolen bases have always been there in his career so uh, i can see a 2020 we know the potters and tingler will run the biggest thing is will you pay the price for him his adp is at 58 in the two early mocks aaron judge george springer Teoscar Hernandez, a lot of different Austin Meadows, a lot of outfielders right there. So that's going to be the, the deciding factor for you. Do you want to take him early or do you want to wait for uh, steals later with uh, a Tommy Pham or a Laureano or some other options at the outfield position? So that will be the decision to make. Could he go 25-25? I'm not going to say no. Like it's not impossible because he is 23. He's going to be 24 in a, like three weeks. Still super young. Always possible in that lineup. It's just I'd rather go twenty twenty like Toby says. I like think much more realistic and more consistent. I think mean, you can do it for a few years in a row. But if you put it together 25-25, I wouldn't be shocked. Just because I think the two, I think he's more inclined to steal twenty five bases and hit twenty five home runs. That's where I'd go with it. So, um, but, but possible. Let's stick twenty twenty. Go go that route and still enjoy the the benefits of that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a good a good good thing to think about is like this past season there's like almost 10 guys who are on pace for 25, 25. And yet in the last full season, we had only two guys. I think I said actually ended up accomplishing that. And so that just shows you like within a smaller window with variance, guys are able to do that. But over the period of a full year, there are so many adjustments that are made. There are so many peaks and valleys um, that it makes it really hard to consistently, there are so many injuries like, makes it just really hard for guys to be consistent enough to get to that level. But, again, great shout.
1: Yeah, Let's go to Dave Petroziello. He has a couple questions for us. Uh, First off, he was really high on Luis Castillo for 2020, but he's down on him a smidge. Walk rate did not come down, although he thinks he was unlucky with balls in play. So we'll start with Luis Castillo. Are you still high on Luis Castillo? You know, the changeup is from the gods, but there's always the walk issues with Mr. Castillo.
0: Um, yeah, I was down on Castillo heading into this year because of the walk issues and I am, I like him. I think he's very good. I am no longer holding any reservations for him. Um, you know, yes, the walk rate, you wish that it was, you wish that it was a little bit better, but, um, the strikeout stuff is nasty. The fast, you know, I just think he's, I think he's really good. And I think he's been consistently good now and he's shown like a pretty good consistency. I mean, he gets chases on pitches outside the zone above 33% for three consecutive years, right? He dominates in the zone 80% or lower for three consecutive years. Um, you know, first pit strike, something that he struggles with a little bit off and on, but you know, he's not atrocious you know, 59% for his career, the swinging strike rate, two consecutive years above 15%. The K minus walk rate, 22.3% at career high this year. Um, You know, the the Reds are a better team. I believe in their pitching, you know, what their pitching team is, pitching staff is doing there um, to make him better. And so, you know, the ratios maybe are not, gonna be as high as you maybe want them to be but I think he's now a guy who can go close to 200 innings and strike out over 200 batters and give you solid enough ratios so where he's going right now I think towards the back end of the second round I think I think it's fine I mean I wouldn't want him to be my sp1 necessarily just because we haven't seen that truly elite from him yet but um, but it's it's very very good uh, and I like him
1: well, he was my SP1 in the two early mocks, but it was only because – I'd hate Scherzer, to be your
0: SP mocks team. No, I no, would be, be
1: But um, it, it's the only reason why he was my SP1 because Scherzer, Nola, Bueller, Kershaw. Oh, players, they all win. All gone. All yeah. gone. And that, that's the problem. If you look at ADP, it's, it goes Scherzer, Nola, Castillo, Bueller, 23 through 26. I'd probably take Nola and Bueller over for Castillo for sure. Scherzer, we could have a discussion on. I would take Kershaw over Castillo. Um, Giolito, obviously, over Castillo. So that's, that's that's the problem. Like I like Castillo. The walks are always going to be an issue. Let's get Castillo out of the central divisions. That'll probably be an interesting discussion next year, too. But a uh, really good pitcher. Not going to take that away from him at all. It's just his price tag might be a little too much unless less draft dictates, which occurred to me. So that's where I sat there. Uh, the other question he has is he uh, he knows we've talked, and you guys have talked a lot about Joey Musgrove. Just a little <laughs> people. Toby Don't do, it. Don't do it, Dave. Don't uh, go there. Yeah. He says, did you see his September and that K rate? Will you be sucked in again?
0: Of course I saw it. You, you <laughs> think I am? Um, no, I mean, <sighs> Joe, Musgrove. Joe Musgrove is a real beauty, let me tell you. Um, the repertoire is still there. It's still fantastic. He just needs to throw the ball over 94 miles per hour. If he can throw the ball consistently over 94 miles per hour, he is going to be on, he's going to be so good and stay healthy. But has he ever done that consistently? Not really. Like that's what, that was the difference, right? He came back and, you know, I mean, I'm sure there was other differences. I haven't had a chance to really dive in, but He's got a, a phenomenal repertoire. I mean, I you know, I would love – what the Pirates should really do is they should make a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays is what they should do. That's they need far one far more far. trade. One more that's trade. Joey far. Musgrove. Uh, um, no, I mean, I think Musgrove is – is um, he's going to be hard to stay away from because I think the one thing that has always kept me from – well, that, that's a lot. I've always been bought into him. But the one thing that I've always worried about is his ability to get strikeouts. And what was incredible about this last little thing is it was just really, it was what we've been waiting to see from him. Um, I mean, his last five starts, he had a 40% K rate. His walks, he had a a 33% K minus walk rate. Um, the velo was back up closer to 94 i mean it really sounds super simple but when he's like that but at the end of last year he was doing the same thing when he can when he can get swings and misses on his fastball he becomes absolutely devastating but but can he do that consistently and it'll depend on the price for me but i'll probably be in again to be honest with you and i think the difference this year is maybe i look at him as a like sp4 you know whereas in the in the in the past what I would have done is like I would have got my pocket aces and maybe waited until to get him around pick one eighty or something like that as my sp three or maybe my sp four. But if he's my sp four sp five, then that's a that's a risk that I'm willing to take. There's a little bit of of um, you, you got to limit it a little bit because he's on the pirates, so the winds aren't necessarily going to be there. But if the K's are there, it could be good. It could be sweet, Dave.
1: All right, Alex at AJT126 asks, third brace ADP fascinates him. People seem to be ignoring 2020. Chris Bryant is going around in round eight ahead of Donaldson and Moustakis. Already talked about them. Then Kyle Seeger isn't going around till round 15, despite being the number four third baseman. I like this Alex guy because he gets on a lot of things, and I think you like him too because Chris Bryant is not a fan. We are not a fan of Chris Bryant. Chris
0: Bryant sucks. Yeah,
1: so Chris Chris Bryant's ADP. Chris Bryant's ADP. Chris Bryant's ADP is number 14 at third base right now. Um, like you said, Mustakis is 17th, uh, Donaldson eighteen, Sano's twenty-two, Tommy Edmund, Nunez, Justin Turner's twenty-five, Cabrian Hayes. A lot of guys I'd rather wait on and take over him. So third base is going to be an interesting debate this season. But, yeah, I'm with you, Alex. It's crazy. Just ignore Chris Bryant. <laughs> totally.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a fine line, right? It's a fine line between um, – paying attention to what happened this year and completely ignoring it. Um, And so like Kyle Seeger is a good example where one of the reasons why Kyle Seeger had a bunch of value. I feel like he stole a bunch of bases this year. What did he have? He had five stolen bases in the shortened season. Compare that to, well, that's the highest he's had since 2015 in, in a season with 600 plus plate appearances, two, 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 three, right. And he gets five last year. So you take those away He hit 241, had a ton of runs in RBIs, but again, you know, those kind of go up and down depending on what's, 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 uh, what's happening, some luck factors there. So yes, I mean, Kyle Seeger is probably still a little bit underrated based on just the consistency of the profile. We still need to see where he ends up because I think he's a free agent after this year. Um, But is that right? Is he a free agent after this year? That's actually uh, no, I think he's got a, He's actually got one more year. Okay, never mind. So he's not a free agent. So um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a fine line. You just got to figure out, and you got to dive into a player's profile. Chris Bryant is not as bad as he was this year, honestly. But at the same time, we now have three consecutive years of disappointment from Chris Bryant from a lack of power, a lack of speed. Um, the batting average hasn't been awful until this year, but he's really a guy who's only doing well because he's hitting first or second in that Cubs lineup, and. Should he still be doing that? I don't know. Probably not.
1: All right. Common Sense Fantasy Baseball asks Pete Alonso going around pick 50, Josh Bell around 150. CJ Kron undrafted. Thoughts on that? Well, people know I'm not a Pete Alonso <laughs> fan, so I'll pass on that no matter what. At his ADP, um, I'm not in love with Josh Bell either. I don't hate it at that ADP, but I'd rather go Christian Walker. You mentioned Carlos Santana. I love CJ Kron. you pointed out that earlier. He's undrafted in all nine leagues right now. I have him circled. He won't make it back to me. I know it. I almost took him with my last pick. He won't make it back. But uh, I have him definitely circled as a guy to bounce back with. This season, I we'll want to see where he's playing. That's for starters. But uh, first base, third base, a lot of these positions, they look deep now once we dig in and see roster constructions on real baseball teams. third These positions might not be as good as we think they are. So what's your thoughts on those three guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Alonzo is once he starts falling back a little bit, he becomes interesting once again. I mean, he probably not a guy that I'll go after, but it's not like he had a horrendous year this year, right? Like the skills are all relatively the same. Slight dip in contact rate. Um, you know, but still for a power hitter like he is, fine. The hard hit rate was down a little bit, the BABIP was down 40 points. Um, you know, he hit 231, but he still hit 16 home runs and you multiply that by three and you're looking at another 48 home run season. And he was really getting going when the season ended. So again, like, you know, um, I just didn't like him around pick 30. And I think like, if you ask me who would you rather have Pete Alonzo at 50 or Matt Olson at 72, I'd probably go with Pete Alonzo just because I just think consistency wise, like the batting average, I think has a higher, has a higher ceiling. Um so I'm not as worried about that. Uh, the other guys, I mean, Josh Bell is a really hard guy to put a finger on. I mean, he could, people have mentioned this. I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. It might've been the launch angle, but, um, that he might get to non tender next year, which I think is a very real possibility, right? Um, who knows where he's going to be. I mean, he was really, really, really bad this year. Um, and then I think with Kron again, it's going to depend like Bubba, you mentioned like where he ends up. I think he signed a one year deal with Detroit. Um, So it's all going to be like whether he has opportunity to get plate appearances. And I think what you're going to get with him is what, you know, like 240, 250, maybe a little bit better than that. And 30 home runs if he plays a full season. So yeah, I mean, he's, he represents the biggest opportunity for value, I think, but I I don't like hate the idea of Alonzo, you know, especially going around there because I think he's an elite power guy who doesn't necessarily hurt you um, in batting average.
1: All right, I'm really afraid to ask this question because we're already going long. Oh, but God, uh, Baba. At, at ComacDew asks, okay. How can a club run away with the Premier League, improve during the summer transfer window, and subsequently lose to Aston Villa 7-2? to two? All
0: follow-up, right,
1: follow-up question, yeah. why will the Spurs win the league this year? He's obviously a Tottenham fan. Thank you for your insight and analysis on this relevant topic.
0: For all you English Premier League lovers, um, I'm a big Liverpool fan. Um, I have been for a long time, so please don't call me a bandwagon rider. But if you want to do that, that's fine, because we're a beautiful team to watch and we're incredible. But we lost seven to two, our worst loss in the history of the Premier League, which started in 1990, I believe. you know what happened, Cody? Uh, three deflection goals. So there was three deflection goals. Our number one keeper was not in. Our defense was in shambles because they didn't trust the goalie. And everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong. And so we lost 7-2. to And hopefully, just like the last time we lost big, which was against your Spurs, after that period of time, we became the greatest team in Europe. And we beat you guys in the Champions League. So
1: there you go, Cody all right draft champions podcasts ask what do you do after the top seven closers when you when you're looking to grab your art when are you looking to grab your relief pitcher too since there's so much unknown and you have any late guys that are free
0: now um i don't have any guys that are late that are free late now i just need i need to dive into it but You know, I think that like after the top seven closers, there's plenty of good options. I got uh, Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates at pick 222. Um, uh, Mayers from the Angels, who, you know, should be there again next year and clearly has the confidence of Joe Madden, Um, you know, and and developed a a cutter. Uh, Jeff uh, Zimmerman wrote that up. Um, I had him on a couple teams towards the end of the season before he became the closer just because he was. Doing so well, but like th- that's not example of a guy who I think went around two, two 240 in our draft. Um, so there's going to be guys, and I mean it happens every year, right? Closers are going super push back, and then when there's a little bit more definition on their roles, then they push forward. But I just think that we see year in and year out that you know there are guys that emerge, right? Every single year, out of nowhere, to be really good guys, and in a longer season, we have more time to find those guys. Um, and to stash them and to take a different approach to save. So again, I think you want one to two guys who have the role right now. And I think it's fine to speculate. And especially I think the, the number of saves that you need to compete is going to continue to go down because guys are getting smarter and using the bullpen. So I don't have any ideas now, but I think as I dive in, I think there will be plenty of guys who kind of jump out as, as values, especially early on here in draft champions leagues. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't done a draft champions league yet is because, really I'm just kind of shooting shooting from whatever the side of my pants or whatever it's called um, because it's for shooting from the hip right now like I'm just kind of like searching through players and picking I haven't like looked through and not rate I never rank guys but like thinking about those clusters of value or where I think different guys are gonna go or who do I need to have on my team who do I not where do I need to get stolen bases you know I didn't even think about that in this draft so um, again, those are things that I need, I think I need to look at. I think I need to see some projections as well, but like from a closer perspective, like there's guys every year that are coming out of places. And after the first few weeks of fab, when people have like blown their fab or they have solidly saves and they just kind of move on, I think we're, we're in good shape. So don't pay for saves.
1: Yeah. It, in our, our league, for instance, a majority of the big guys were all gone by like 100, 115. So I, I got uh, stuck out there watching. And uh, after about pick 180, almost all the important ones are gone. So if you wait that late, then you're just going to start playing the game and playing the waiver wire later. That's just the way it looks right now. Uh, At least in our league, guys went really early. Looking at the ADPs, you know, 15 closers went in the top 190. So it'll be something to keep an eye on as things go. Guys got really aggressive on closers, to me, it felt like, in the draft. But we'll have to kind of wait and see as more happens. Uh, Less than Dave at Run D M C D asks what will you be looking at in terms of takeaways from 2020 season which stats do you think are legitimate and which aren't you putting much stock into how heavily will you weigh 2019 comparatively
0: yeah um i think we addressed a lot of this in the last podcast just kind of like takeaways from the last season so i won't go into too much depth there but i think it's i think in every single scenario it's all individual player like you know, I think we can take a broad brush strokes. Like if, I were, if you were to ask me, like, what are you going to rely more on 2019 or 2020? It's going to be 2019. Like just a much larger sample, but, you know, and it's just like anything else. I think there's going to be the extremes where it's very clear that there were guys in 2020 that were just off, right? Like Michael Conforto is a good example where it's like, okay, the skills are exactly the same, but his Babbitt was much higher. I'm not going to pay a higher price for that. Like maybe he moves up a little bit, But, you know, I'm not going to move them up 60 picks. So there are those guys who are kind of at the extremes that are pretty easy to navigate and figure out whether you want them or not. And that doesn't mean you're right on them or not, because sometimes these small sample sizes can have meaning or it can turn into something or, you know, we just never know what's going to happen year to year. But I'll put much more of an emphasis on 2019. I think this is a situation where I rely on projections a lot of times, like as just a baseline, and then I kind of go from there. And I think people who rely on projections are going to be in really good shape this year. Um, Because I think, you know, people who you who are going to use those kind of data driven uh, methodologies to figure out approximate player values and then kind of move up and down based on plate appearances and lineup and situation and and more recent trends and things like that are going to be um, in a position to do well. That's my personal perspective. I think I could be totally wrong on that, but that's kind of what I think is going to happen. So I'm really looking forward to the way that the projection systems handle that. Um, and kind of, um, you know, I think it'll be a really good time to do meta, a meta projection where you don't just look at one projection system, but you look at a few of them, you know, aggregated ATC does that already, but kind of looking at a few of them to see the way that they approach it and, and to kind of combine those and fund those. Um, so that's what I'll kind of plan on doing. So, but, um, we, we kind of tried, we touched on a lot of the lessons learned, um, uh, on the last pod, so I won't go down there, and it's late, and I know Bubba wants to go to bed
1: because he's got a little baby. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Twenty nineteen is much more important. I keep, like I said, I'll say it many times this offseason. Twenty twenty will be a grain of salt situation. I I'll, I will look at the Statcast data quite well because there's some sticky numbers there. Your barrels, your hard hits, you can look at and get ideas that might be legit, might not be, but you're gonna have to kind of look at it all, and in the end, kind of make your decision. I like think you said the projections will be good. Uh, we know like Jeff Erickson and a lot of guys use three-year rolling averages. Um, maybe you do three years and then throw 20, 20 on top of it, so it's like three-and-a-half-year rolling averages. Or you do a three-year rolling average with 18, 19, 20. I don't know. But to take 20 by itself and weigh it too heavily, I think it's going to be a uh, the wrong way to go about it. So you'll get you'll get more trouble than good in the long run in that scenario. All right, Billy B. from Canada at Bill Bradley 44 asks, which one of these three two-baggers – Are you higher on for 2020 and beyond for Dynasty Leagues? Kevin Biggio, Keston Hira, or Brandon Lau?
0: Um, It would depend on the format. So what I would say – Standard format, just shoot from the hip. Standard format. I think Brandon Lau would probably be last – um, in all of those scenarios, I think if it were a batting average league, I would probably lean towards Hira because I think the ceiling is higher and the batting average floor is similar. And I think there's, there's more speed there, but I'm just, I haven't looked at how many stolen bases they had, but the power is power is a lot, lot more. Um, and then in OBP, I would leave the, I would lean to BGO.
1: um, that's what I would say. Yeah, most definitely with Biggio in the OBP format. He's close to me with Hira. I'm a Hira believer. There were some scary things this year that obviously I'll look at last year's numbers, but it's uh, that strikeout rate's got to get better. It's got to get better. That was scary this year, but uh, the hard hits are still good. So there's a lot to like there at Kesson here. There's no doubt about that. He's got to work on that speed pitch quite a bit. But uh, Biggio's a stud. He improved this year, and I think if we keep seeing improvements, that's going to be a guy to be a big, big fan of. And we talked loud on the show. Great talent. He's another guy that jumped quite a bit in ADP, so let's keep an eye on that. Uh, Andrew Armor at Andrew Armor one. Can you name a few pitchers to target after pick two hundred that can provide potential league winning value? Well, I'll be honest, that's <laughs> tough to say at this point in the situation, but uh, I can pull up the old starting pitcher thing and figure it out. Do you have any that uh, you've seen past two hundred on the? Uh, um, the ADP?
0: Well, I'll scroll scroll through here right now. Um, Andrew, Andrew I go might
1: pick 200.
0: Oh yeah, Um, I would I would go um, I would actually go and listen to our last podcast. I think we actually touched on a lot of later round pitchers that we really like. I do think Musgrove is one example. Um, I think Tristan McKenzie is another example. Although um, Jeff Zimmerman uh, in his Mining the News had a great piece on how his velocity decreased. Like his skills were still really good, but his velocity decreased as he started more and more. And so that's something to monitor, but he looked really, really good. And we know what um, has been possible from uh, the Indians pitchers. John means is another guy who looked great towards the end of the season. Earlier on in the season, his skills were showing some dramatic improvements. Again, a velocity increasing guy. Um, So there's potential there. um, Although obviously there are still um, some warts um, to be seen in that uh, particular situation um do you have any on the top of your mind i'll i'll um
1: i like i like the means call that's a big one but uh, a guy that chris clay wrote an article about today and i've seen others talk about him throughout this last season and he had a sub four era pitch for the phillies and the strikeout rate ballooned up this year zach eflin could be very interesting at pick 230 he started using that curveball so much more i know alex fast was talking about him quite a bit and gifting him a lot when he pitched. If he keeps using that off speed pitch the way he's, he is and developing it even more, he could be quite interesting uh, as a later round option. You know, I, I'm, I've always been a believer in Michael Pineda. He's going to have some rough starts, but he has tons of strikeout upside. He's going to be playing for the Twins. That's going to score a ton of runs. So I don't hate that either. There's, there's a lot of interesting names here that guys that uh, you could see if they turn things around. Uh, that could be quite, quite interesting down here.
0: Ooh, ooh, baba. Drew Smiley. I, I saw him. Like, I did not
1: say him. I Drew left him for you.
0: Smiley. Ryan Yarborough. Yep. Yeah. Ryan Yarborough is another one. Um yeah, I mean there's a lot of guys. I should I should I should go through my um I feel like that's my whole cue at this point. It's just like late round guys. I like, like Alex Reyes is going, I don't think he's gone in any of these. No, not. Um, Davey Garcia is going super late as well. Josh Limblom hasn't gone. Matthew Boyd is going super late. And again, there's danger there, but there's also, we saw towards the end of the season, you know, how he can turn that around. So um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of there's certainly risky, but I think there's a lot of late round guys that are going to push up as, as people familiarize themselves a little bit more with the pool. Um, I think they're going to move up a bunch.
1: Yeah, a couple more to keep an eye on, and we'll move on from this. Um, We saw Griffin Canning actually started pitching much better in the second half. Velocity came back. the guy to monitor in spring uh, because, you know, he's going to pick 264 here. Last year before he got hurt was one of the big-time pitchers that people were up high on, so he's interesting. Um, I'm always a Mitch Keller fan. He came back from the I.L. and actually had a couple good starts to finish out the season. He'll be a guy to monitor, and the third one I've said it. I said it a lot last year. I say it in DFS all the time when he pitches. The talent is outstanding. Strikeout rate's not ideal yet. We've seen it good at times. He walks too many people, and that's Dylan Cease. If he ever figures out control, he can ruin up the standings in a big way. So that'll be one to watch as well.
0: Ooh,
1: which is a really good point because the White Sox
0: just replaced their manager, but they also replaced their pitching coach. Don Cooper, who had been there since 2002. And I think that's really important because they've really struggled recently to develop their pitchers. I think they're way behind in analytics. I tweeted this, but if you remember, Giolito actually had to leave the White Sox organization. Not like he had to leave the organization, but he went to his high school pitching coach to regain the velocity and make the changes that they needed to. And I think that could be really good for a guy like Cease who has that velocity, I think, Eno you know, Saris has talked before about how the spin rate just is, it is there's cut on it and it makes the fastball less effective, even though he's got that below, he's even got the changeup that has some potential. And so I definitely keep my eyes on him and Reynaldo Lopez as well. Um, you know, guys like that who just haven't really developed the way that people were hoping that they would develop. Um, those are some interesting guys to just kind of monitor and, um, and velocity is always the key velocity 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 Mon- monitor those minor mo- those spring training velocity numbers and look for guys because oftentimes those are the guys that'll take the jump and we saw that again this year Gaussman's a, a perfect example he's plus plus one mile per hour on his fastball up to 95 on average
1: um so yeah, yeah we'll have to see who goes to line this year with covid we'll see uh, i don't know how they're gonna do things like they used to but that was a major factor last year to kershaw and a bunch of guys went to drive line. velocity was up we saw the results like Alex Wood, even though he was hurt, another guy we didn't talk about with Dodgers, guys, potential starting pitchers. Like, here's another one. Um, They got their velocity up, and when they were pitching, they were very, very good. So I'll see how that pans out. But it'll be definitely something to monitor and something we'll definitely talk about in the coming weeks. But, Toby, that'll wrap us up this week. Any final thoughts as by this time next week, we should have the the mocks all wrapped up?
0: No. Uh, uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it, especially in the offseason. I mean, I know there's a lot of great – Fantasy football podcasts and podcasts about other things in the world outside of sports. So, really appreciate you guys listening. Bob and I are going to be on the Pole Hitter podcast with Rob DiPietro, who won the Draft Champions League. Um, so, shout out to Rob. We're going to both be on there tomorrow night. Um, so I'm sure Tuesday that. Night. Tuesday night. So that's going to be hitting. Um, I think probably on Wednesday. People's podcast. So definitely check that out. We'll share it. Um, but yeah, thanks, bye bye. I appreciate you staying up late with me.
1: Hey, no worries at all. No worries at all. It uh, works out great. And um, yeah, the, the podcast with Rob should be pretty cool. The outline looks great, so people get that a listen, and we'll tweet it out like usual. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Check out Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. I'm at Pediatric, Bub in the Batflip fifty three in the books. Catch you guys next week.
0: That is going to wrap us up for episode 148 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, and edition number 53 of Bubba and the Batflip. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we are starting our off-season program um, of diving into some of the early ADP that we have. Um, we'll be doing that a little bit more on the next show. And before you know it, we will be getting into positional previews. So, um, before you know, it's going to come fast and furious. Before you know it, we'll be doing drafts full real. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Always appreciate it. Um, you guys are incredible, especially to be listening during the off season. Our, our love for fantasy baseball runs deep, and we appreciate uh, being able to share that with you. So uh, best of luck with your offseason research or your offseason break from fantasy baseball. Maybe this is one of the few uh, delvings into fantasy baseball that you're going to do. Whatever it is, um, yeah, we appreciate it. So take care and be kind to one another.